right. How are y'all doing this evening? No, let's try that again. How are you doing? All right. All right. So, what book have we been studying? I could not have given you more of a softball right there. What book have we been studying? Philippians, that's right. We're going to be in that book again tonight. If you need a Bible, don't have a Bible. There's some in the backs of your seats. There's a couple on the back table back there. Is that so you can take notes? It's a great idea. If you ever need a notebook to take notes in, hey, there's KF student notebooks right there on the back table. Those are free. Take one. Feel free to use them. Who wrote the book of, of uh, Philippians? Paul. I ask you these questions every week because it's important to know who we're talking about, who they're writing to, why they're writing. So when do we believe that this book was written? 61 to 62 AD, that's right. Where do we believe it was written? Jail, remember? Nine times out of ten, if somebody says, where did Paul write this? You can say jail or prison, and you're probably going to be right. Okay? So we believe he was in jail. Do you know jail where? Like what city? Rome, that's right. He was in jail in Rome. And why did, well, who did he write it to? I heard a whole bunch of how, 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 how. Gentiles, yes. What, what, what group of people, where was this that he was writing to? Where were they? Yes, it was scattered church. Who said Philippi? Yes, it was the church at Philippi. And you're right. Your first answer about the Gentiles, there would have been some Jewish believers, nationality Jewish people, but it would have been more populated or mostly made up of Gentiles, people who were not born to the Jewish nationality. So this is who he's writing to. Basically what that means is some, some of you guys, you've been in church like your entire life. That's just kind of what you've grown up in. But then you've got people like the Gentiles during this time, they didn't grow up in, in church. They didn't grow up knowing the Old Testament scriptures the way some of us have grown up knowing the Bible. So that's who Paul is writing to. And why did he write this book to them? To encourage them. Do you remember what the theme is? What is the same thing he keeps coming back to over and over? What? Joy. How many times? Four chapters. How many times does he talk about joy? 16 times. If somebody mentions the same thing that many times in such a short period or a short writing, it's probably something that we ought to pay attention to. And that's what Paul keeps coming back to. He keeps bringing them to a constant reminder that no matter what, the gospel is supposed to be the focus of their life as a believer. And when the gospel is the focus, there's a joy that you can't get rid of. It's different than happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is temporary. Somebody told me I needed to get this box off the platform, so it's off the platform. All right? But joy, that just made somebody happy, but they're probably not very joyful that I threw it that way. Happiness and joy, there's a difference there, Okay? And what Paul is talking about is that when you've got Christ at the center of your life, there's a joy. There's a joy that nobody can take away. That even when your circumstances are not good, even when things are going on in your life that you don't understand or, or that you don't really want to have happen, there can still be a joy because your life is focused on Christ. And that's what Paul keeps coming back to in this book. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to finish chapter 1. This is week number 4 in this book, and we're finally just now getting to the end of chapter 1. We're going to go from verses 19 all the way through 30. So I'm going to ask you to do what I always ask you to do. Stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 
And follow along with me. We're actually picking up, when I stopped last week, we stopped about halfway through verse 18. So we're going to pick up right there in that second sentence in verse 18. And it says this. Yes, and I will, what? Rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them for their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can spend time in your presence and and trying to dig into what your word says and see not only what it meant when it was written, God, but what it means for us right now and how we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel that has been shared with us. Help us to be changed as we walk out of here tonight because we've been in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So Paul is picking up in the middle of verse 18 where he left off. And if you remember, he starts right there. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Do you remember what he's rejoicing over, what we talked about last week? What? What's he rejoicing about? Christ being proclaimed. That's absolutely right. Because if you go back to the verses we looked at last week, he's talking about the fact that he's preaching the gospel, but there are also other people who are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it for selfish reasons. They're doing it because of what it's getting them, or they're doing it because they're wanting to bring harm to what Paul's trying to do. And yet Paul says, it doesn't matter. Because whether I'm preaching it for the right reasons, or whether they're preaching it for the wrong reasons, at the end of it all, the gospel is being preached. And when the gospel is shared, the gospel is unstoppable. And Paul is saying that he's rejoicing in that fact. And last week I challenged you guys. I challenged you because we talked about prayer and encouragement and we talked about looking for opportunities to share the gospel with somebody that you knew in your life that needed to hear it. And these are the cards y'all turned in. And there's a bunch of cards here. I want to continue to encourage you Don't stop praying for the names you wrote down last week. Don't stop looking for opportunities to share the gospel with the person, or some of y'all wrote like 10 different names on one card, which is awesome. Don't stop asking God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with those people because God will give you the opportunity. 
And when you share the gospel, the gospel is unstoppable. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to see them stop right then and there and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But what it does guarantee is that now they've heard the most important thing they will ever hear in their life. And now they're responsible for what they do with it. Keep praying for those opportunities because your prayers matter. And that is exactly what Paul starts talking about as he jumps into verse 19. Let me read that for us again. He says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is writing to this church and he's telling them that there's, there's two incredibly important things for him in his current situation. Those two things are the prayers from these people and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He's saying these are the two things that are going to get me through what I'm going through right now. Now remember, he's in prison, right? 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 You remember that? Okay. He's in prison. This is not a great situation. But even before he's in prison, he's not only had that situation, he's seen persecution, he's faced hard times throughout his entire ministry, and in all of that, including his current situation, he's saying, these are the two things that are going to get me through this right now. And the first thing he says is, it's the prayers that are given by the church at Philippi. And that's what we talked about last week, that, that we all, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need other people praying for you. To know that somebody else is standing with you, even though they may not physically be with you when you're facing something difficult, when you're facing something in your life that you don't understand, to know that other believers are praying for you, that's encouraging. That, that's huge. And, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I need you guys to pray for me. Because when they're praying for him, they are lifting up. They, the scripture calls that interceding for him. They are going before God on his behalf and lifting him up. And Paul says, I need that. I need you to do that because that's what's going to help me get through is knowing other people are standing with me even though you're not physically here with me. And the other thing he says there is the power of the Holy Spirit to help him endure. And that's, that's, not, that's a power, guys, that you and I don't have on our own. There's, there's going to be times, situations in your life where you're facing something hard and you think, you know what, I can just muscle through this and I can get through it and everything's going to be fine. But then really you don't have what it takes on your own power. What Paul is talking about is he's talking about a supernatural power of God working in and through your life to sustain you when you can't sustain yourself. To give you the endurance, to give you the, the, the peace that God gives when the world around you is making absolutely no sense. Paul says this is what's going to see him through his situation here. Because he knows, he knows that the outcome of this, his imprisonment, is going to be one of two things. Either he's going to get out of prison... And he's going to go on sharing the gospel and making disciples and planting more churches or he's going to die. He knows those are the two outcomes and there's no other outcome for him. And as he looks at this, either way, he says, whatever happens, I want to be able to continue in the faith. And if I'm going to be able to do that in confidence, these are the things that I know are going to help me to do that. The prayers of this church and the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. 
Because what he wants to do here, he wants to continue to declare the truth of the gospel no matter what the outcome is. And Paul's facing some pretty dire outcomes. His focus, make no mistake here, his focus is not whether or not he's going to live or die. His focus is that he's going to remain faithful no matter what happens. Because if he gets out of prison, great. He's alive. He gets to continue. He gets to keep doing what God's called him to do. But if he dies, he says, that's okay too. Because let's face facts, we all die at some point, don't we? We all face a physical death. I got a couple stories in my life. I could tell you right now, there's a couple times I should probably have already been dead. And, and Miss Kathleen can attest to some of those. I remember one time when I was in elementary school and my granddad had a farm. So we would have a habit of going out with him when he was on the farm. And one day... I was sitting on a trailer. He was pulling with a tractor. And on this trailer, it looked like one of the old-style field goal posts on a football field. There's this big metal rail that went up on the front of the trailer, and it had these two bars that went across it. And I'm sitting there. What do y'all call that? Crisscross applesauce? I'm sitting there on the trailer with my legs crossed, and as we're going down this dirt road, he hits a pretty big bump with the trailer. And as he does that, those two metal rods pop up out of the pieces that are holding them in, and that whole guard falls onto the trailer. And when it fell, I'm sitting here, one bar hit here, and one bar hit right behind me. Had I been maybe two inches forward or two inches backwards, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. So we, we all face situations like that in our life. We all face times where we're, we're going to die. It's going to happen. But what Paul is saying here is he said, even if that's the case, even if I die, I want to know that I stood firm in my faith. I want to know that I did what God called me to do. And then he goes through and he starts to break this down because what he wants the focus to be is his life centered on Christ. And he's calling us to that exact same thing. Go ahead and put your hand down. I'll get it to you in just a minute. Okay? And he continues to talk about that in verse 22. Look at what he says next. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He says, that's a good thing, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says here that if he lives, it's an opportunity for him to continue to work for Christ. It's an opportunity for him. The words he uses there are fruitful labor. That means he knows this is not going to be easy. He's going to have to work. He's going to have to strive. He's going to have to sweat. He's going to have to put his whole life on the line in order to do what God has called him to do to make Jesus known and to make disciples. I mean, he knows that from his experience so far. He's been in jail. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been, he's been all of these different things because he's preaching Christ. That's why he refers to it as labor because sharing the gospel and making disciples is hard work. That's why there's a lot of people that sit in church every single week and they never do either one of those. They show up and check the box. But Paul is telling us right here, it's hard work. But he knows the importance of what he's doing. Too often we tend to shrink back from hard things. 
hard conversations, messy situations, different things that are going on in people's lives. We look at that and think, I just don't have time to get involved with that today. And we do our own thing and we keep going. And yet, if we grasp the fact that what Paul is saying here, it is labor to share the truth of the gospel and to speak it into other people's lives, you need to understand it is going to wear you out. But if you're willing to do that, you're doing exactly what we've been called to do as disciples. Giving everything. Paul says he may end up giving his life because that's what you do when Jesus is the center of your life. That's what you do when Jesus really is the focus of everything. And for Paul, that focus came with problems, it came with persecution, and eventually it comes with death. But Paul says, I'm willing and I'm waiting and I'm striving to serve Christ while I still live. And guys, that's, that's huge for us because for Paul, he says, death is gain because Paul will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That, that's incredible. We talk about Jesus here and we worship Jesus here and we study Jesus here, but to actually stand face to face with Jesus Christ, that's unbelievable. That's something that I hope we all hope for one day. And yeah, that's a whole lot easier than to stay here and work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says, I want to be with Christ, yet I know that I need to be here because there's still work for me to do. Paul says here, he struggles with this desire to serve the church and his desire to see Jesus face to face because he knows the cost of living a life that's centered on Jesus. He knows how hard it is. And yet he says there in verses 24 and 25 that he knows he will live because it will be more beneficial for those believers. That he knows that God is going to keep him alive because his life, his mission, what God has laid on him is going to be more beneficial for those believers than if he was just dead and gone. Guys, that, that matters for us because we, we look at verses like verse 22 there where it says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labors for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot die or I cannot tell, I'm hard pressed between the two. We look at verses like that and we're all about that last part. As a disciple of Jesus, you and I know, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight, you know where your eternity rests. You know that the day you die, Scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. We know that when our day arrives, we're going to be with Him for eternity. We know that death is gain. That's almost a no-brainer. But do we really believe and live out that first part of verse 22? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Do we really live that out? Do you grasp every opportunity in your life, every conversation, every relationship to live for Christ each and every day, knowing that it'll be hard, knowing that you're going to struggle? And, and let me tell you this, you will struggle because there will be days where you will wake up and you will think, I don't want to today. I want to be about me today. I want to live for me today. And yet that's not what God calls us to. You're going to struggle. You're going to face hard situations. If you focus your life on Christ, everything about your life, you're going to lose friends. 
It's going to cost you popularity. It's going to cost you comfort. It could one day cost you a job. It could cost you your life, depending on where you live and what's going on in the world. But that's exactly what Paul is describing here in these last few verses. He says, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yeah, you're going to die one day, and that's great. That's gain. You're going to be in his presence for eternity. That's incredible. It's amazing. But until that day, you're called to live every moment for Christ. And that's what he tells the Philippians in these last couple verses. Look at what he writes in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, I find this interesting here. In this passage here in verse 27, this is the first imperative that we find in this book. Does anybody know what an imperative is? What is it? It's exactly what it is. Good job. An imperative is a command. Hey, some of y'all high schoolers, you need to get on his level, all right? He's got the words figured out. An imperative is a command. And this is the first time that Paul gives one of these in this book. He's made it almost through the entire first chapter, talking to them, encouraging them, calling them out a little bit. And now he says, this is what you need to do. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's pleading with them that his sacrifice to live, if he's saying, hey, I know that God's going to keep me alive because my life is going to be more beneficial to you as a church than my death, he's saying, make it worth it. If this is what God's called me to do, and this is where I'm going to spend my time and my focus, walk in a manner that is worthy of what God has called you to do. He's urging the church to see their common goal, to be united together in, in, in advancement of the gospel. He's describing what it means here. When he said to live is Christ, but to die is gain, he's describing what it means when he says to live is Christ. To be unified, to strive together to advance the gospel. In fact, he writes something very similar in the book of Ephesians. Remember, he wrote Philippians and he also wrote Colossians and Ephesians around the same time. Look in, listen to what he writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1. This is not in the slides up there. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, remember, still in jail around the same time. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Totally separate church. He's writing almost the exact same thing. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is encouraging the Ephesians and the Philippians to keep Jesus at the center of every part of their life. To live their lives in a way so that Jesus is reflected in everything they do. He says, be humble, be patient, be gentle, be united in purpose and in mind. 
And then he finishes here. Listen to what he says, because sometimes this seems weird to us. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. That, that seems weird to us because what Paul is saying there is he's saying God has given you two gifts. He's given you the ability to believe. He's given you the ability to have faith and that's a gift. But he's also granted you the gift of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Hey, believe in this and put everything in your life, put it towards this. Make this the center of your life and understand that when you do this, this comes along with it. He says you've been granted that. It's, it's a gift from God, and that's how he's choosing to see what's happening to him. That's why he tells him there, you, you don't need to be scared of anything that may face you because of the conviction that you have, because of the life that you're living. Because God has granted this to you. God knows what's going on, and God has got your back in the midst of all of it. He's saying you can trust God. Remember, this church, the church at Philippi, when I asked that question earlier, who made up this church? Some of you said it was the persecuted people, the persecuted church. This church came into existence 12 years before Paul penned this letter because of suffering. Because people were living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. And because of it, they faced persecution. And because of that persecution... When an entire nation thought they were wiping out Christianity, all it did was make it spread like wildfire. That was granted by God because God takes what we intend for evil, Scripture tells us in the Old Testament, and God can take that and God can do anything with it. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to help them see here. And as, as we wrap this up tonight, so many of us in here tonight would say, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, I would be willing to give my life if it came to that. I would lay it down right here, right now. And that's awesome. But are you willing to really live for it? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to, to labor, to toil, to serve others the way that Jesus served others, to lay down your preferences and your wants and your desires for the cause of the gospel? And that's not a big philosophical question where you go, yes, of course I would. Let's get practical. Are you willing to serve someone tonight that gives you nothing in return? Are you willing to continue to pray for the names that you wrote down on these cards last week, knowing that even when you share the gospel, you may get made fun of, you may have other people walk away from you, people tell you never talk to them again. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Because that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about laying everything. Are you willing to stop giving in to the temptation tonight on what you watch on TV or listen to or look at on your phone? Are you willing to stop and live every part of your life for the gospel? Are you willing, are you willing to start mending a broken relationship tonight with another believer? Because that's what we're called to do. That's what Paul's talking about. There's so many different ways to spend your minutes, your hours, your days. 
And what Paul is showing us right here, and his question he's asking us is, will you let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that you individually and us as a group shows the world what it looks like to stand for Christ? Are you willing to do that tonight? That's a question that only you can answer. You know what it's going to cost. Nobody else knows that for you. Are you willing to pay the cost? Let me pray for us.